Last night, Wendy and I were celebrating birthday of some friends in Des Moines. There was a big kind of to-do, and we were hanging out. And a, a friend that I've known for about 30 years in Des Moines introduced me to his friend who happened to be traveling through Iowa. And, and Keith introduced me to Chris. And, and in introducing, he says, hey, Chris, Tom is he writes this chapter a day blog and I know that I've sent you some of his posts. To which Chris replied, yeah, I'm sure you have. Okay. So I got to talking to Chris a little bit and found out that he's recently divorced after 37 years. He is uh, currently homeless, living out of his car. Uh, He has a son who recently graduated from seminary and became a pastor. And by the way, he thinks that his son is the biggest religious jerk he's met. In fact, he said, who's that that Pharisee guy? Caiaphas, yeah, that's my son, Caiaphas. Okay. So I found Chris to be loud, proud, brash, cynical, irreverent, and I liked him. (laughs) Because as I talked to him, I thought to myself, this is the kind of person I think people like Peter were before Jesus came along. Like Paul was before Jesus came along. And it's, Chris is the kind of guy that when I began writing my, my blog, gosh, 17 years ago, just one chapter a day, I started with an idea in mind. I had some very specific things that I, ground rules I gave myself. One is I always try very hard to simply talk about what I thought about in the chapter that day and keep it confined to these are my thoughts, this is my contemplation, and this is how I think I'm going to apply it into my life today. I try to be very careful to not talk about you, (laughs) not to point my fingers at anybody, not to tell anybody what they need to believe or how they need to behave or what they need to think about. I'm just simply there to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about, and if you can connect to it, great. The other thing I've tried very hard to do is to never refer to myself as a Christian and to never talk about my church. I talk about myself as a follower of Jesus, and you all are my local gathering of Jesus followers. And the reason that I do that is because there is so much baggage that comes with people's backgrounds, their experiences with church. And in a minute, somebody like Chris starts, starts the, I go down and start talking about my church, talking about being a Christian. All of a sudden, I just know that in his mind, He's like going, oh, great, get me away from this guy. So if I can change the terminology and allow somebody who maybe doesn't know Christ or doesn't really understand the things of the Spirit, they can maybe connect without me turning them off. Now, I mention this because last week, if you were here for Easter Sunday, did you hear what Kevin, Pastor Kevin asked us to do? He asked us specifically to stop referring to ourselves as Christians for the very reasons 
that I stopped referring to myself as a Christian in my blog. And when he said that, I'm not going, yes! And Kevin asked us to begin referring to ourselves, not as Christians, but as disciples, disciples of Jesus. And I love that. And I wanna start there today, because as we get into our study in the book of James, I want us to become disciples, not just in name, but in action. So greeting disciples, <laughs> my disciples of Christ. We're gonna get into the book of James today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, grab them. We're gonna dive in. There's Bibles at the back of the room, right behind the soundboard there. Uh, you can go get up right now if you want, go grab one. Uh, it's, uh, where are we at? I think it's page, I thought I had it written down. Page 1196, 1196 in the pew Bibles back there. So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is, the, the definition is really a learned follower. And in tradition, when Jesus called his disciples, in those days, Jewish rabbis, Kevin's talked about this many, many times, your disciple would follow their rabbi, follow their master. They would then learn from their master. They would do what their master instructs them to do. And ultimately, they become their teacher, their master. They're ultimately to become exactly like him. And it's interesting because Paul, who became a follower of Jesus, was also a Jewish religious leader before he uh, came to Christ and became uh, an apostle for the cause of Christ. And when Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, in Corinth he said in the chapter 11, verse one of 1 Corinthians, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Right there, that's discipleship. I am following in the steps of Jesus. I am becoming, I am following, learning, doing, becoming Jesus. Now you follow, learn, do, and become like me. And that's what discipleship is all about. I grow more like Jesus, and those in my circles of influence then see my example and follow it. So, four disciplines of a disciple, okay? Four disciplines. Think about it as two lines. God's word comes down to us. So God's word, so being in God's word, God gives us his word to learn from. My prayer goes up to God. So there's the vertical. God's word in me, my prayers to God. And by prayers, I just mean having conversations with God. Having, getting, doing that all the time. And then on the horizontal, I live in fellowship with other followers, with other disciples. We encourage one another bear one another's burdens, we love one another, we forgive one another, we walk with one another, we build one another up. That's fellowship, living in community like we're doing, okay, in this room. And then, being a witness. So, 
Community fellowship is what happens in this room. Being a witness happens when you walk out that door for the next six days before we meet again. And what does it mean to be a witness? It means that as you live each day, you are following, learning, doing, <laughs> and becoming Christ wherever you're at, whoever you interact with. So that when you are at a birthday party and all of a sudden you're introduced to this person that you don't know who's loud, proud, brash, cynical, irreverent, it's not just my buddy's buddy, Chris. He's a divine appointment that I have an opportunity to get to know and to love and to speak into and to hear his story in the hopes that I might have an opportunity to be Jesus to him. So that's what we're trying to facilitate. We're trying to develop in all of us. And James is a great way to do this. So if you got to James, we're gonna read one through 18 of James chapter one. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe, not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown about, tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade, they'll fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When you are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose us to give, he chose to give birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of the first fruits of all he created. So we're gonna start this five-week series, five chapters in James, five-week series. And here is my challenge to you challenge for all of us. I would like to challenge you 
in the next five weeks to take even a small step forward in growing as a disciple. That can take a lot of different forms. One of the things that we often do even in the, uh, our body of believers is it's easy to kind of feel like we're, we're, the, that perfection is the expectation, and it's not. Progress is the expectation. So if you're there sitting that, that seat, however, I'm just gonna ask you to open your hearts and minds and ask God, even in a quiet little prayer, to say, Lord, what's one step I can take to grow in my faith, in my dis- disciplines, my spiritual life, over the next five weeks. I'm gonna give you a couple uh, opportunities if you wanna take up on that before we end today. As we get into James, I'm kind of kicking off the the series here and I want us to understand as kind of a foundation. For those of you who've been here in the auditorium or been part of Third Church for the last uh, handful of years, James, I'm so excited about it because it actually connects to three different themes that we have already spent tons of time in over the years, okay? So we're gonna get into it. Three different things that we've studied. So let's just dive in here with number one, verse one. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So who is James? There are actually four people named James in the New Testament. You've got James, the father of Judas, whom we know nothing about, You've got James, the brother of John, so he was part of Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. There's that James. Then there is another James in the 12 disciples. And then finally, there is James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. So after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had other kids. And James was Jesus' little brother, by Joseph and Mary, and the eldest of his siblings. And James did not believe in Jesus initially. In fact, in the scripture, it says that at one point, James and Mary and the other siblings came to take charge of Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. But James, the little brother of Jesus, became a believer when Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse seven, James is listed as one of the individuals to whom Jesus appeared. And from that point on, Jesus' little brother became one of the pillars, one of the strong leaders in the Jesus movement. And I, I, I can tell you as a little brother with two older brothers, dude, Little brothers know all the big brother's secrets. So if Jesus wasn't Jesus, who he said he was, if Jesus wasn't the son of God, if Jesus wasn't the perfect perfection of humanity, James would know it, right? But the fact that he became a believer and became a leader in the church, I think speaks volumes to the fact of just, it's evidence of exactly who Jesus was. So James became part of the leadership in the church, in the Jesus movement in Jerusalem. Now, this is where it connects with the book of Acts. Do you remember a couple years ago, we went through the entire book of Acts, took the entire church year to do it. And James figured prominently in the book of Acts. He led the big council in in Acts chapter 15. James, when, when Peter and Paul go off to 
the Greco-Roman world to take the Jesus love and Jesus message to all the outreaches of the Roman Empire, James stayed in Jerusalem with all of the Jesus followers who came out of the Jewish tradition and who still had one foot in Jewish tradition and one foot in the Jesus movement. And it was tough for them. And so that's the, that is his congregation. He is focused on those Jewish believers. So now let's go to verse two. To the 12 tribes, stop, 12 tribes. Who's the 12 tribes? In the Old Testament, the uh, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, had, uh, had many sons. Remember the song? Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons. Anyway, I'll teach you the song later if you want to learn it. Hey, so he had 12, it was Jacob's son, two of his grandsons became the 12 tribes. So when Moses leads them out of Egypt, there are these 12 tribes. And through the rest of history, until 70 AD, if you were a Hebrew, if you were a Jew, you knew who your tribe was and you stuck with who your tribe was. You were proud of your tribe. Kind of like being a sports fans this year, you know, in this day and age. Like, this is my tribe, I'm sticking with them. And everyone knew who their tribe was. Now James, interesting enough, so he's referring to these believers in Jesus as the 12 tribes. Why? Because his flock are Jewish and they identify with being Jews and being their tribe. So when they get the letter, he's speaking directly to them and identifying with their background and where they're from. But notice also it says the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So here's the third theme that connects James to where we've been over the last five to 10 years. Because these believers were in exile. They, because of the persecution in the book of Acts, going back to the book of Acts, James, the brother of John, was arrested. Peter was arrested the religious leaders, the same ones who crucified Jesus, they cut James' head off. And then Peter miraculously escaped. And after that happened, all, all, a lot of the, the Christians in Jerusalem said, we need to get out of here before we're next. So they scattered, they went into exile, living in Antioch and Syria and, and different places. So when James is writing this letter, he is writing to his fellow believers, his fellow Jewish believers who are living in exile. They are living in fear in a foreign land. So one of the things, why is this important? Because as you read scripture and as you, you read James, and we're gonna be studying a lot over the next five weeks, you have to understand the context in which these words were written. So keep in mind that he is writing to people who are in exile. They are displaced. They are living under persecution. Their lives are really tough right now. And they've been disconnected from their family, their fellow believers, their friends back in Jerusalem. 
They're just struggling to get by. That's who James is writing to. Well, why is that important? Because then as we start thinking about, well, what does this mean for me? I begin to go, hey, do you feel, anybody here feel like they're facing a trial? Anybody here feel like maybe kind of displaced in life? Anybody here feel sometimes like I'm just kind of disconnected and struggling? Yeah. So that's where we can connect and go, oh, these words that James is writing to these fellow believers, I get it, because I've been in those shoes. I've been in, in that seat. So keep that in mind as we get into the scripture. So let's go on to verse three, or verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And now, here's the third connection. The first one was Acts, the second one is exile. The third one, chain reaction and praise. So for those of you who haven't been in the auditorium for about the last eight to 10 years, Keith Korber kicked off uh, the current generation of our auditorium family with a message called the Chain Reaction of Prayer, a series of, of messages. We have gone back, I think we've done it three times. And the more we go on, this keeps coming back again and again and again and again and again. It's become kind of Holy Spirit's theme for this room. So the Chain Reaction of Praise is this. We give thanks in all circumstances, we praise God in, in every circumstance, which activates our faith that we might pray powerful prayers, which then helps us overcome evil and then learn to live and reign with Christ. So we've been through this numerous times. So now I want, let's look at James because I want you to see this, it's amazing. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. These people are facing a trial. They're living out, out in Illinois. They've been scattered. They're facing persecution. They're in fear for their lives. They're facing a trial. And he says, consider it pure joy. So notice this. Number one, he is telling them, well, you should just have joy. What he is saying is, I want you with your mind and your heart, I want you to look at your circumstances. I want you to give thanks. I want you to praise God in the middle of this circumstance and where you're at. That's exactly what we learned here. Give thanks in all circumstances. Last, uh, just on Friday night, Wendy and I were getting ready for, for dinner and um, and she was cutting an avocado with brand new cutlery set we, were, we had down at the lake. And she decided to um, see how far she could stab the knife into her palm of her hand. And I heard the scream and I saw her go down, uh, literally onto the floor. And I watched as the blood began oozing all over. And I thought, okay. <laughs> we gotta, all right, we gotta go. So I panicked probably more than she did in that moment. Like, all right, gotta get. So we jump in the car. Now we're at the lake and it's 20 minutes to the nearest hospital, the only hospital in the area. So we begin driving and she is in pain. And we've got the blood stopped. She's kind of holding this and she's holding on and she's crying. She's in pain. 
and I'm driving, trying not to drive like a madman because uh, we got to get there fast, and I'm watching blood come down her. And like, ah! So you know what? I, immediately, I'm driving, and I am hearing chain reaction of praise. Chain reaction of praise. So immediately, I began praying out loud in the car. One hand on the wheel, one hand on Wendy, praying, God, thank you. <laughs> Praise you, God. Thank you that we have a car that can get us to the hospital. Thank you that you're in control. Thank you that you love Wendy and you want the best for her. Thank you for a hospital that can serve us. So the whole, like two or three times on the 20 minute drive, I just break out into prayer. Why? Because that's one of the things that we have learned over the years. When something happens to us now, we, Wendy and I even call it between the two of us, chain reaction of praise moment. We have a chain reaction of praise moment, right? By the way, Wendy is fine. She's right back there, all good, right? Um, but it was an interesting, interesting uh, evening. But that's the idea. In those moments where giving thanks and praising is not your natural reaction, when you choose by the Spirit to give thanks and praise, it starts the chain reaction to activate your faith. So let's go on. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith, there it is, that's what God is trying to do, is trying to activate our faith. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow this trial? Why does God allow all of this in my life? because he wants us to learn to trust him. He wants us to learn to love and to have faith and persevere and grow up in our faith. So the testing of our faith produces endurance, perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there's the goal. I am trying to get you all the way over here to learning to live and reign with me where you are spiritually mature. That's the goal, okay? Next, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should what? Ask God. There's the powerful prayers. <laughs> so in the midst of your trial and you're struggling, oh God, why is this happening to me? What, why am I going through this? Well, if you want the wisdom to know what God is doing in you through this, ask. Pray, God, I'm coming to you. I'm begging you. I'm laying out my heart to you. And I'm trusting you with my life. And those powerful prayers begin to move. Let's go on. He gives generously to all without finding fault. And that wisdom will be given to you. You're gonna grow. But when you ask, you've gotta believe in that doubt. There's the faith again. This faith trying to activate your faith to believe, to trust me, to follow me. Verse nine goes on to believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. So now we've got James moving into this idea of what Isaiah said when, God's, when God said, my ways are not your ways, Right? Here in the world, the rich people, the powerful people, they're top dogs, and they're the ones that rule in this world. 
But in God's kingdom, in Christ's kingdom, the rich should watch out for themselves because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven. That's what Jesus said. And if you are poor and in humble circumstances, you should rejoice because great are you in the kingdom of heaven. The first will be last and the last will be first. So James is beginning to, again, be an example of what Jesus had taught through his entire ministry. Well, which is, what? Overcoming evil. Now, isn't it interesting? Because the only place that evil is mentioned in here is going down to the, the very end where he says, when you are tempted and dragged away by your own evil desires. But understand that evil is ever-present. From Genesis to Revelation, this great story is about a struggle between God and the evil one, between good and evil, and our being stuck in the middle. Evil is present in the garden. Satan is there in the form of a serpent. He is there at the end of Revelation where he is finally defeated once and for all. And in between, we are in a struggle. Now, don't wanna get too far into this, but what is it that evil wants to do? Evil wants to do anything that God is for, evil is not for. <laughs> God wants to give you life, evil wants you to be dead. God wants you to have joy, evil wants you to despair. God wants you to have peace, evil wants you to live in chaos. See, evil is anti-God. So as we are going through these trials, as our faith is activated and we are praying for wisdom and praying for God through it, evil is trying to get us to go to despair, to get us to go to, uh, to depression, to get us to go to where we can't handle our life and we can't handle our issues. And if evil can do that, evil wins. And so, and sometimes it's not just evil. So, so it's, you know, the devil made me do it. No, 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 James doesn't say, no, no. Yes, evil is there and evil wants to be against everything God is doing in your life, but let's go on there. It says, uh, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires because you and I have all these appetites. So when we face trials, I can choose to praise and thank God and activate the chain reaction of praise, or I can choose to get despair, uh, live in despair and depression and anger, and then decide, you know what, I need to do something to medicate the pain. So we have all of these desires, we have all these natural appetites. And what do we do? We begin to feed our appetites in order to not feel the pain. So the question is, for me, am I working the chain reaction of praise or am I allowing the enemy to convince me to be depressed and in despair and to numb out? 
And the answer to that question tells me kind of where I'm at in the balance in this moment. So let's move on here. It says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. I want to back up to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. I'm persevering. I'm working my steps. Because having stood the test, this person will receive the, what? Crown. Learning to live and reign with Christ. That's where he wants us to end up with a crown. And so, I'm left asking, where am I at? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up. So over the next five weeks, the next four weeks after today, we're going to be digging through this book of James. My challenge again is that you would take a step. Here's one, and we're gonna try and work on this together as, a, as an auditorium family. I would like us to try and memorize James verses two, one, verses two through four. Do we have that up on the screen? Can we get that up on the screen? James one, there we go. So every week during the James series, we are going to read this out loud together. And I hope, like we did with Psalm 23 when Kevin and Lane took us through Psalm 23. I'm hoping that by the end of five weeks, you, you pretty much know it. But it, it's gonna probably require you to maybe think about it, to read it out loud, to say it a few times during the week in between Sundays. So let's read this together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Knowing the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Okay? Good verses to have. Why do you memorize scripture? Well, Jesus said you don't just live on bread, but on the word of God. In other words, he doesn't want us just to read word. He wants us to eat it. He wants us to consume it. Why? Because then it becomes part of us. And if I have James chapter one, verses two and three in my heart, then when that trial does come, when that chain reaction of praise moment happens, Holy Spirit can take that verse that I've memorized, boom, and bring it right to mind. Consider it pure joy. That's why it's important. Another, you can join a text group. Uh, a text group did it through the, the study of, um, what do we just, what's the other? Yes. My mind's scattered. Yes. So it's really easy. You just commit to reading the chapter of that week. On Monday, your text group leader reminds you of the chapter. By Friday, the question is just, hey, just share one thing that came out of it. It's really, really easy. I led a text group uh, through the last book study. It was awesome. Um, some people just kind of lurked and, <laughs> and watched and never really shared anything. That's cool. And other people were sharing through the week things that they learned. I, I got a lot out of it from the people in my group. So if you wanna do that, it's as easy as texting the word James to this number, 
888-222-2264. And you literally will just wait, you'll get a text from your leader and off you go. It's very simple. If you need that number, come up and see me afterwards and I'll give it to you again. Another thing you can do is simply to read James. I one time was challenged to read the book of James in its entirety every day for 30 days, for a month. I did it. Talk about, by the time you read the same book, 30 days, you learn a lot of it by heart, okay? But you get a lot of insights from it. That's another thing that you could do. If not, that doesn't sound interesting, just find a way. Say, God, how am I going to take the next step? And maybe it's just that you're gonna be here every Sunday for the next five weeks. And if that's a great step for you, awesome. Glad you're here, okay? Let's pray. And then we're gonna sing our closing song. God, thank you. Bless us. Help us to become your disciples, to follow you, to learn from you, to do the things you tell us to do, and to be examples of you to everyone we touch in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our community. That's what we pray. Help us, Lord, give us the faith and grace to take the next step spiritually, no matter what trial we're facing. In the name of Christ, amen.